So Zechariah is writing in the time frame around 500 years before the Lord's first coming. We were just singing about our Lord's first coming. What were we just singing about the Lord Jesus? That he's going to be king. He's coming to, to reign. What do you think the governments of our world would say to that today? They're already writing that God can't fix what's going on here. Man needs to fix it, is the implication. And they think they're going to bring utopia, the United Nations and these other groups of nations, the 195 or whatever. They think they're going to bring utopia on this planet without Jesus Christ. Thank you, we don't need you. Well, God has a different plan. And God is not asleep. He's not on vacation. He's not given this world over to the governments of this world. Praise God, that's true. But we are living in times that are, well, we were, Gary and I were just talking about, it's exciting. We're almost like we're on tiptoes peeking over something that's really special. The glory of the Lord is just around the horizon here. But also we see darkness too. We see now that, that there are people that are opposed to Jesus Christ. There are people that don't acknowledge Him as King and don't acknowledge Him as God. And they are in many ways in the places of authority in many countries of this world. And Christians are told in this country to be quiet and not to offend those who want to offend Jesus Christ. It's interesting the times we're living in. So Zechariah is, is also in a critical time in the history of the nation of Israel. By the way, God isn't through with Israel yet either. Now Christendom, this large conglomerate, this umbrella that has everything that calls itself Christian would fall under that. And there are a lot of groups within that umbrella that don't believe that Jesus Christ is going to be king and don't believe that he's God. And they believe, many of them in that umbrella, that the church has replaced Israel. That God is through with Israel. That he has no plan for them. They had their opportunity and they blew it. And so God thought of the church and the church is replaced. And so all the promises in Zechariah to Israel are said, well, no, they apply to us now. Oh, really? Well, we're going to see some things that are happening. For one thing, the valley that runs north-south in Israel is going to run east-west. Has that happened yet? I can take you over there and show you. It's not that way. The Great Rift Valley still runs north to south. The Jordan River runs north to south. That hasn't changed. But Zechariah says it's going to change when the Lord Jesus comes back and sets his feet on the Mount of Olives. This is an important book, beloved. It's an important book. And like Isaiah, but Isaiah had 66 books. It's hard to get our mind. It's hard for me. We just spent two years in Louisiana going through the book of Isaiah. One of the things I've been wanting to do my whole life is to study Isaiah in detail. We were able to do it. But two years. I mean, it's hard to remember chapter one two years later. But Zechariah, 14 chapters. That's something we can really get our minds around, I think. And I hope we can be able to do that this week. You have opportunity to join us in these various sessions where we can do this. All right. Here's the, here's the context. 
It's important to always understand the historical context. When you, maybe some of you have a chronological Bible. I just bought one. Brother Burkle told me about it a few years ago up there in Boca. And I said, yeah, you know, I kind of like to do that study on my own. But there are some that have done that and plugged in these various prophetic books within the historical books. And so if you'll hold your finger here in Zechariah, before we read in Zechariah, I want to go back to the Old Testament book of Ezra. And in the book of Ezra, the first six chapters of Ezra deal with the time, the history before Ezra. From chapter 7, we begin with Ezra's own time frame. So chapters 1 through 6, look at the history of the Israel return after the 70-year captivity. Some of you have heard of that, the so-called Babylonian captivity, where they were taken out of the land. The temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold in Daniel's image. And Israel was no longer allowed to be a testimony as a nation for God in the land with the temple, with the Shekinah glory. A real missed opportunity. And maybe you or maybe someone you know, someone that you care about has missed an opportunity. Maybe they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and maybe you've been able to live it and share it before them. And, and they've turned away from the gospel. They've turned away from the Lord Jesus. Don't give up on them. If they're still breathing, don't give up on them. Pray for them. Live for before it. And if you can, share with them. Our Lord is in the restoration business. <laughs> Praise God He's that way. I know I have friends that are, are good at restoring, say, a wrecked car. I mean, you look at this wrecked car and everything's mangled in it. And you say, this is hopeless. This is, this is worthless. And that person can restore that to something really useful and attractive. Some people do it with furniture. Old antiques, you look at it you say, that is never going to work. But they're able to do that. We call it restoration. Well, God's in the business of restoring broken lives. Is that you this morning? A broken life? You've got to admit you're broken before you can be fixed. <laughs> And when we admit that brokenness before a holy God, He is able to begin, He promises to begin and do a work in us and restore us to something useful, a vessel for honor instead of dishonor. That is awesome. That is hopeful. In a world with so much hopelessness attached to it. And the Lord's going to restore this planet. Oh, I know they think they're going to do it with the climate change arguments and all of that. But God's going to restore this planet the right way with the power that can do it. Man in all his little genius isn't going to be reverse the processes that he's already begun. No. Yield to God. Yield to his word. And so we read they got the opportunity to return. The edict of Cyrus, the king of Iran. It was ancient Persia then, modern day Iran. And if you go to Iran today and say you're Arabs, they would say we're not Arabs. If you maybe have some Iranian friends here, they are not Arabs. We're Persians. And Persia goes all the way back to the table of nations in Genesis 10. It's it's an ancient people group. And the king of Persia, Iran, sends whoever of the Jewish people that wants to go back. You know, only about 45, 48,000 went out of a couple million. 
because the people thought it was better. We just heard the children talking about the pleasures of Egypt. Well, the pleasures of Babylon were more important to them and having a comfortable life than, than serving the Lord in the privileged opportunity He gave them. He says, you can go back to the land. He says, I'll fund it. I'll fund everything. You can go back to the land. I want you to rebuild the temple. I want you to reinstitute the the sacrifices. And they did. And that began in 539 B.C. when the Persians, through a clever way of rerouting the Babylonian river where it goes underneath the ancient city of Babylon, and they were able to conquer the Babylonian, the great Babylonian empire, and take it over. And Cyrus was led by God. God predicted it in Isaiah 45. He calls him, my servant, you will do this. And we don't know that Cyrus was a believer. There's nothing in the scripture to indicate that. But can God use an unbeliever? Can God use a donkey? Ask Balaam. Yeah. And so God reverses the courses of history then and the people go back to the land and lay the foundation of the temple and Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest and they commence the work and they're excited about it. But then the nations around them, just like the nations around Israel today, are opposing them. Well, they were opposing them then. And they threatened them. And they wrote to the king and said, look, they're rebuilding and they're going to rebel again. You better stop them. And so they had to cease the work. Verse 23 of Ezra chapter 4, when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rishim and Shimshai and their companions, and they went up in haste to Jerusalem against the Jews and by force of arms made them, what? Made them cease. Made them cease work. Now, you and I aren't building a physical temple today. We're not laying physical stones upon one another. I hope you're not. (laughs) But we're still involved, I hope, participating with God in building a temple. It's called the body of Jesus Christ on earth. Jesus Christ's physical body is in heaven at the Father's right hand. He hasn't come back yet, but He is building a temple today called the church, the body of Jesus Christ. And each one of us who are believers are living stones planted in that temple. And we're inviting others to join and receive the Lord as Savior and be planted in that temple, which will be a holy testimony to the Lord. And there are some nations where the government says, cease work. That may happen here. Things, things are changing rapidly. I hope you realize that. Some of us who have been around a few years have seen the changes that have happened and how it is changing exponentially. It's not a flatline curve. It's a parabola. It's changing exponentially fast. By the week now. Not just technology. Technology's doing that too. I was talking with Gary when AutoCAD came out in 84 in our business. I, looked, I said, that is so cumbersome. That is never going to catch on. I really felt like that. I was used to drawing by hand. You know, I had all the triangles and protractors and all of that for that. That's dinosaur stuff now to the kids. Yeah, they're all not... They probably have you ever seen a compass? You ever held one of those compasses? <laughs>
No, no, that's, that, those are for the cavemen. No, the technology is changing. And just when you think you've caught up on the latest one, they're going to come out with a new one to keep you busy learning the technology. Because as long as you're busy learning the technology and learning how many new apps there are, how many new apps are there? 10,000 of them and growing? And you have to learn all the, keep up with all the, guess what? You're not reading your Bible. You're not memorizing the Scripture. And I'm glad these children are learning Scripture now because the Bibles are going to be taken away from them probably in their generation. Oh, yeah. You say that could never happen. It happened in China in 1968. That's a lot bigger country than, as far as population than we are. Way bigger. They were able to confiscate all of them. That's why a few of us smuggled them in in the 90s. But you had to smuggle them in then. Now they've allowed them to print Bibles again in China. How long that will last, who knows. Beloved, times are changing. Where do you want to be? Whose side do you want to be on? Draw the line in the sand. You know, over in Texas, we've got the Alamo. They drew the line in the sand. Colonel Travis said, you with us or against us? You step on that, across that line if you're with us. All but one did. And they all lost their lives defending the Alamo. Oh, yeah, but it was a turning point in the war. Texas would win its independence soon after that. Yeah, do you want to be a life that counts? Do you want your life to count for something in the end? I mean, imagine getting to the end and, and saying, I was talking to somebody at, recently at their deathbed in the hospital, and they were talking, they said, you know, I got to the end of their life, they'd been, lived 60-something years. And they looked back and they said, you know what? It was nothing. I had no impact on my family. I had no impact on people I worked with. I had no impact on anyone for good. It was a total waste, and it's my fault. Well, it was good he was admitting that. Can you imagine? Sixty-something years on the planet and have nothing to show for it? Is that going to be you at the end? I hope not. That's up to you, though. That's up to you. The decisions you make, the decisions you're making right now, the decisions you'll make this week, this month, and in 2016, if the Lord doesn't return. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine going to your company Christmas party and thinking, oh, we're going to celebrate and hand out presents and going to have a wonderful time and we're going to eat some of Luke's big box of cookies he got at Walmart? (laughs) I like that. That was good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sing Christmas carols even. Probably had their red suits on and their, their pretty outfits and... I wonder how many of them thought that morning when they left their house, this is the last day I'll be on planet Earth. Huh? At a Christmas party? In the United States? They were finding out that was, that was, that was, that was only a small part of what was planned for that day. That was almost a mistake. That was a sidetrack. You know what helped those policemen find that black SUV as it traveled down the highway? God. People praying. One of them in that group was a believer. We know that. 
So they ceased work in verse 24. That's the work. This is Ezra chapter 4, the last verse. That's the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased. Oh, no. God's allowed him to come back and to rebuild the temple and the work ceased. Oh, no. What's God going to do? And so it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, the king of Persia. But this is what God's going to do. Verse 1 of chapter 5. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Yeshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, rose up and began to build the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. What happened? God intervened. What did he use? His word, prophets. And then if you turn over a page in chapter 6, we read again that uh, verse 13, Tetanai, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar Boznai and their companions diligently did according to what King Darius had sent. So the elders of the Jews built, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. The very Zechariah that wrote the book that we're going to be studying. They prospered. And they built and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, the kings of Persia. And the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, February 516 B.C., which was in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. What had happened? Well, the people were motivated by the word of God, weren't they? And that brings us then to back to Zechariah in chapter 1. Zechariah chapter 1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came. This is in 520. So this is November of 520 B.C., four years before the event of finishing. They had ceased the work in 520. Because of the ministry of Haggai the prophet just before Zechariah in in your Bible. And then Zechariah, they spent four years and finished the work. But in the meantime, God, especially through, to some extent through Haggai, but especially through Zechariah in these night visions, in one night, in five, it was February 15th, I'm told, 519 B.C., in one night, eight visions, and looked at the whole panorama from the second temple period all the way into the eternity. (laughs) Future still to us, a lot of that. All of it future to Zechariah. So we read in the eighth month, verse one, chapter one, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying, the Lord has been very angry with your fathers. See. Why was God angry? Therefore, say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So the first six verses of the book start with a call to repentance. A particular call that we see in every one of the 17 prophetic books. All of them have a call to repentance in them. Isaiah begins that way in chapter 1 also, you remember. Calls the heavens and earth to witness. Bear witness with me, God says. 
He says, return to me. Well, <laughs> they, they said, well, we're here. We came back to Judah. We came back. We left Babylon. We were... He said, no, return to me in your heart. I know you're here physically. And maybe that's what he's saying to some of us here this morning. I know you're in church. You're here physically. Return to me, though, in your heart. Come back to me in a personal relationship. You've grown distant. I was speaking with a couple some time ago that their relationship had grown distant. You know, you can be friends without being companions. And in a marriage relationship, when you become friends and not companions, that's usually the death knell. <laughs> it's usually, it's all over. A friend of mine said, well, the light's gone out, especially in her. The light's gone out. See, they were friends, yeah, but they were friends living under one roof. There, there was no companions who want to do things together. Companions wake up in the morning and think, I can't wait. I can't wait today to do something for my spouse. To enable her, to build her up, to build into her. That's what I want to do today. Lord, help me. That's what, it, that's what companionship is. And, and the wife says that about the husband. That's what marriage, that's what God created it to be. And the same is true in our relationship with God. It's so easy to grow cold, isn't it? So easy to be distant. And that's what had happened. And God says in verse 4, Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets preached. Who does he mean? Who are the former prophets? Well, in Zechariah, you have the former prophets and you have the latter prophets. The former prophets would be 14 prophets from Isaiah to Zephaniah. In your Bible, that's the order. That's not the chronological order, but that's the order in your Bible. And then... Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, the latter prophets. Former and latter to what? To the captivity. <laughs> that's, that's the marker here. One was the former prophets are linked to the first temple period, and the latter prophets are linked to the second temple period. And so God had sent these prophets, and he says, Don't be like your fathers to whom the former prophets preached, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, he says, turn now. This is what the former prophets said. And beloved, that's what I said. This call to repentance you will see in every one of those books. I invite you. I could show you. But, but you can do that on your own. I invite you to look and just see for yourself. From Isaiah to Zephaniah, every one of them has a call to repent, to come back. Thus says the Lord of hosts, turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not hear nor heed me, says the Lord. Hey, you know people like that? And your fathers, where are they? They're not in the land serving in the prophets. Do they live forever? No. Yet surely my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, did they not overtake your fathers? You see what he's doing? Before he gets into prophecy, he starts with history. <laughs> he says, look, he says, 
Go back to the former prophets. Go back to the people that heard them. The former prophets said, and you could take this all the way back to Moses. He was a prophet too, you remember? I mean, the prophets go all the way back to Seth at least. But he's talking about the writing prophets, I think, particularly. And, and they all said, look, if you continue in your evil and your distance from me, you will be put out of the land. You will suffer consequences. And that's still true, isn't it? You get away from God, Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Don't be deceived, Paul says. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. That is an axiom of the universe. That's a principle of the creator in his universe. Just as important as gravity. And other principles that he operates under in his universe. That he created and sustains. This is hard, isn't it? But it's where restoration begins. He says, don't be like, he says, which survived? The people, the land, or the Word of God? The Word of God survived, he said. The, the Word of God, he said that they would be cast out of the land. Read Jeremiah. Read the letter in chapter 25. And read what he says. And they were cast out of the land. Zechariah, it's history to you. You can go back and prove it. You can go interview the people in Babylon and they'll tell you how it happened. And they'll tell you how Nebuchadnezzar impaled people on stakes outside the city of Jerusalem. He made big murals of them. You can still see them in the British Museum. It was horrible what he did. There are other things he did, too. I'm not going to even tell you. It's horrible. It was a massacre beyond massacres. They suffered there. And he could interview people that lived through it. See? History. Well, beloved, if it was history to Zechariah, in 520 B.C., how much more history do you and I have? From 520 B.C. all the way to 2015. 2,500 years of it now. Has the Word of God ever not been fulfilled in those 2,500 years? Oh no, it's been consistent, hasn't it? When... Like brother said, it was prophesied through the angel Gabriel to Mary that the Lord, that she, being a virgin, which means she had never had any relations. That's what that word means. I know there's a lot of question about that now because the Hebrew word just means an unmarried woman. But the Greek word Parthenos means a virgin. That's what the Parthenon's named after. Come on. It was the temple of virgins. It was a part. She was a Parthenos. She couldn't have a child except miraculously. Did she have the child? You say, well, I don't believe it. I didn't. I never saw it. Well, I can take you over to Bethlehem. Queen Helena, the mother of Constantine, the great unifier of the Roman Empire, built a church right over the place where they claimed. And she went there in around 330 A.D. and said, tell me where it was and so I believe that's, it's got to be close to the place anyway. It was only a few hundred years after it happened. Yeah, Christ came. That's all indisputable history. None of the religions of the world dispute the coming of Jesus of Nazareth and his death on the cross. You can't. They can go down to the catacombs in Rome. And they've got crosses down there. Scribed on the rock on the wall. 
Can't dispute that, beloved. Well, if he came the first time, and that's prophesied in chapters 9, 10, and 11 of the second part, of the third part of this book, then his second coming, prophesied in 12, 13, and 14, is going to come too, just like he said. I believe him. Yet surely my words and my statutes which I commanded my servants. And so they returned. So they returned. It's interesting. You go over to the middle part of the book in chapter 7. And they come to the prophet. And they ask him to ask a question of God. They said, well, you know, all during the captivity, during certain months, we fasted. And we made sure we went through this religious ritual of fasting. And you and I can come up with our imagination, certain religious things we've done for God. And we might go to God and say, look, I did this for you. I went door to door for you. I went to Sunday school for you. I went and took the van to pick up kids for you. I did these things for you. So what? Who did you really do it for? That's what God's going to say to him. The word of the Lord came to me, verse 5 of chapter 7. Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? For me? You were doing it for yourself. So much of the religious work we do, the so-called work, Christian work we do for the Lord is just for self. And if we advertise it and get it put in Uplook magazine or get it, then like the Lord says in Matthew 5, you got your reward. Enjoy it. Or Matthew 6. You got your reward. You got your reward now. It means there's no reward for you in eternity. You already got it here. Oh, to do it quietly. That's really hard to do, isn't it? Because we want everybody to know. We want to broadcast it. We want to put it on Facebook and put it on Twitter and let everybody know what we're doing. God says, then you got your reward. It's really hard to do it by faith and not by sight. Isn't it? And so the Lord confront when you eat and when you drink, do you not even drink for yourselves? Should you not obey the words which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets? Here he says it again. See, when Jerusalem, the cities around it were inhabited and prosperous and beloved, it's hard for us to imagine. You look at Jerusalem today, you look at Jerusalem a hundred years ago. In Mark Twain's time, I saw some pictures of it. It wouldn't be an interest to any country of the world then. I mean, it was in, in ruins and in shambles. There was garbage everywhere. And it was all sooted over. It was just black and white. It was hardly any color. The trees were gone. There was no grass. There was no flowers. There was no greenery. But back in that day, it was prosperous. And the south, the Negev, and the Shvela, the lowland, were inhabited. And then the word, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, verse 8. Execute true justice, show mercy, compassion, everyone to his brother, and so forth. Look at verse 11. But they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders, and stopped their ears that they couldn't hear. <laughs> Sound like anybody you know? Can you imagine? The word of the Lord speaking to them through a prophet. And they stopped. I don't want to hear it. Turn that radio off. I don't want to hear Christian radio. Turn off that Christian music. Don't talk about Jesus Christ. Don't confront me with my failures. Don't confront me with my hypocrisy and my pretending. I don't want, I'd rather go on pretending to be a Christian. Oh, God sees right through all that, see. Isn't that amazing? This prophet, Zechariah, gets right in your face, <laughs> doesn't he? 
His name, Zechariah. Remember, Yahweh, the Lord remembers. Yahweh remembers. He remembers Israel. He remembers his love. He remembers his covenants. Praise God, that's true. He remembers his promises. He remembers what he's promised them in the former prophets he's going to do. And he will execute them, his promises. Yet they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law in the words by which the Lord of hosts sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Thus great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. They walked away from God. This nation, as a nation, began its walk away from God in 1948, right after the war. We should have lost that war. Do you know that? Me too. But for certain changes in weather and the tide, who controls the weather and the tide? Thank you. We would have lost many of the battles that ended up in the final. And certain German scientists that just happened to defect to our country to help develop the atom bomb. Had they gone to some other country like Russia? You and I might be speaking Russian or German. Oh, yeah. And the first thing right after we got, we had the, the war settled and the peace and everything, we, and we were prospering. Remember how they were building houses in the early 50s? My uncle, he, God bless him, he died a few years ago. He said, in the 1950s, he said, you could have invented anything and you would have been a very prosperous person. Because of the baby boom, he said all you had to do was develop a hula hoop or some toy that you could sell for one dollar. And they, were, they would sell one, or one million, two million, and there, there you'd have it. You invent a diaper that the woman doesn't have to wash anymore, the throwaway, they call it a pamper. My mom used to wash them in hot water, I remember. Ooh. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, ooh, it was my sisters, you know, I mean, but here we are, see, therefore it happened just as the Lord proclaimed it, they would not hear. This is verse 13. Oh, mark that in your Bible, please. Therefore it happened that just as he proclaimed and they would not hear. So they called out in their trouble, and I would not listen. That's called talionic justice. You see, they wanted God as a good luck charm. They wanted to ignore Him most of the days of their life, but when they went a real bad they were told they had cancer, or they told somebody, or they lost their job, or they had a financial problem, oh boy, they'd be at church. And they'd be calling out to God, see. God sees through all that pretension. Come on, beloved. And that's what Zechariah is doing. And so we read, going back to the last verse in that 1 through 6 of chapter 1, verse 6. So they returned. Thank the Lord. At the end of verse 6, just as the Lord of hosts determined to do to us according to our ways and according to our deeds, so has he dealt with us. Whoa! That's repentance! True repentance, godly repentance, as Paul would call it in 2 Corinthians 7. And I close with this over in chapter 14 of the book of 
Hosea, verses 1 through 3. Another example of perhaps the words that they used. Since Zechariah doesn't record in detail, verse 1 of Hosea, chapter 14. It's the book right after Daniel. O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe that's someone you've been talking to at work or in your community. I hope so. Or at school. Maybe this is, some, this is similar to the words of the prayer that I gave, led by the Lord in 1982, many years ago. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord then. Remember what Romans 10:13 says? Whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You don't call on Him, you don't get saved. So call on Him. Humble yourself if you haven't done that. Get on the right side. Get on the winning side of this thing that's happening in our world today. You better do it quick, too, because it's changing. It's changing. And take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. The writer of Hebrews quotes this in Hebrews 13, 15. The sacrifice of our lips is the fruit of praise unto God. It's one of the sacrifices New Testament priests offer. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses and save ourselves, nor will we say any more to the work of our hands. You are our gods, for in you the fatherless finds mercy. You need mercy this morning? I need mercy. I need mercy every day. Because I fail. I don't live perfectly. I have an awful thing called the flesh inside of me, the Trojan horse inside the gates. I have a world system and I have the devil. And the devil's walking to and fro on this earth. Read Job chapter 1 and 2. And he's looking to make you stumble and me. He knows how to lay his traps and his snares cleverly, much more cleverly than us. If you don't have the Lord Jesus, you got nothing, right? You're in a bad way. God says in his book that Lord Jesus is our advocate. He's there for us when we fall. The righteous may fall seven times, but how many times will they get back up? All seven. Because of the Lord, not because of us. The restoration business. Hope that's what you want to be about. Zechariah is going to go into great detail. You know who's going to stand out in this book more than anyone else? Jesus. <laughs> that's a good guess. That's right, Brother Romeo. Jesus. He's going to be spoken of in chapter 6 as the priest king. Did you know that? They make an elaborate crown for him. Awesome. And he's going to be crowned. And he's going to reign on this earth. And you and I, if we're believers, are going to reign with him. For a thousand years. And
state forever. God has a plan and a program. He wants us to know. He doesn't tell us everything. So people come to us and say, well, I don't want to know this. I want to... Like Samuel Clements, Mark Twain said, I'm more concerned about what I do know in the Bible than what I don't know. And I am too. There's enough in here to, to really alert me in my failures and my lack of loyalty. How about you? But you can change and come back. Come back. Don't keep drifting away on the hillside. Where you're just a prey to the enemy. So, Father, we thank you, O Lord, for these stirring words from your prophet Zechariah. His, his own name means you remember. And we're so thankful you haven't forgotten us. We're so thankful you have a message of hope for everyone in this room. May we, Lord, avail ourselves of it. May we come to your Son, the Lord Jesus, and seek forgiveness and seek restoration if we're away from Him. And if we don't know Him as our Savior, Lord, may we bow the knee and ask Him to deliver us from the judgment that's coming. And it's coming. Be with us as we go on and wherever we are this afternoon. Give us journeying mercies. Give us a joyful time of Friendship and fellowship with friends. Be with us as we go on to live for you this week. We ask your blessing. In the Lord Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.